Golden Spiral Media is a proud affiliate of Amazon. If you enjoy instant streaming of movies and TV shows, instant access to Kindle books, and free two-day shipping, you'll love Amazon Prime. Visit goldenspiralmedia.com slash prime and start your 30-day free trial today. Welcome back to TripleCast. We're thrilled to be back with you today as we kick off a brand new series of episodes that pair two well-known Hollywood talents, Cary Grant and Alfred Hitchcock. They did four movies together. We're going to be talking about three of them. It all starts right now with Notorious. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to TripleCast. It has been a long time since we were with you bringing you a brand new episode of TripleCast. Sincerely apologize for that. had no idea it was going to be this long between episodes. But the good news is we're back and we hope that you're as excited as we are to be bringing you brand new content with TripleCast. You'll notice probably first off that I'm flying solo in studio. That's one of the things with TripleCast. I hope to have Clint from time to time. He's still hopefully going to be able to do that. But so that we can continue to bring you fresh, regular content for TripleCast, we're going to be bringing in various guest hosts as a part of the new setup. And tonight, I am pleased and honored to be joined by Travis Morehouse. You might know him as Darth TM on Twitter. How you doing, Travis? Good. How's everybody out there? You know, I, I got to give it up to you. It wasn't too long after we stopped doing Triple Cast. I think we had said out there somewhere or another that we weren't sure when we were going to be able to do another Triple Cast. The deal was that Clint's schedule changed like crazy, and we that's why we've had so much trouble doing several of our shows. And you sent an email in and said, hey, you know what? I don't know what your future plans are for the show, but if there's ever an opportunity to fill in that chair, I would love to be a part of it. And so I'm grateful that you did that. It kind of uh, got me thinking in those terms. It took me a while to actually put it all together because my schedule has been quite full as well. But kudos to you for being the first to throw your hat in the ring. And here you are. Well, thank you very much. I'm very, very, very happy to be part of this and have a small part in keeping it going. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm happy to have you. So the last time Clint and I did a triple cast, I don't know how long ago it was. It was 10 or 11 months ago, I think. And we announced at that point time that our next set of triple casts was going to be Alfred Hitchcock and Cary Grant. Clint really wanted to be a part of this and it just didn't work out. But this is going to be a great fun series to do. As I mentioned in the intro, we're going to be talking about Notorious tonight. Let me go ahead and tell you the three movies that are part of this series. We're kicking it off tonight with Notorious. And then our next episode is going to be To Catch a Thief. And then we're going to round it out with North by Northwest. So they did four movies together, and you know this is triple cast, so we had to only do three of them. But maybe we'll come back at some point and do that fourth movie uh, as a as a part of a different series or something like that. I mean, there's certainly will be another Hitchcock series that we'll do. We could do the Jimmy Stewart Hitchcock. We could do the this the regular Hitchcock. He has so many movies out there. So don't fret that we're only doing three of the four because there's certainly a lot of opportunity for us to do that other remaining movie out there. But uh, tonight, we're talking about Notorious, which was made in 19... 
1946, a very interesting and pivotal time in world history that certainly came into play with this movie, wouldn't you say? Yes. I don't know if this was filmed before or after uh, we dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, but uh, nuclear, the nuclear age was just starting. That's right. So to have uh, something like this, you could almost, just almost, call it slightly science fiction at the time. Yeah. We'll talk about that as we get into the, into the, the movie, and that is definitely the point that I was alluding to as well, because the timing on it is really quite interesting. Uh, this movie was written by Ben, and I don't know how to say the, the last name, 100% sure on that. Travis, do you know? I would guess Hecht. That's how I would pronounce it too. Ben Hecht. Okay, we'll go with that. Of course, directed by Alfred Hitchcock, and of course, starring Cary Grant. He played T.R. Devlin. Ingrid Bergman, one of my favorite actresses of all time, played Alicia Huberman. And Claude Rains, again, another one of my classic favorites, played Alex Sebastian. Those are the main actors and, and actress in this movie. There was some supporting cast as well. But like I said, Ingrid and Claude, I mean, I'm a huge Humphrey Bogart fan. I'm a huge Casablanca fan. So those two right there were Casablanca. So they'll always be the top of my list when I'm thinking about classic. I was going to say American actors, but neither one of them are American really. So but just classic actors. Yeah, I've, uh, unfortunately, I... I've owned, this is the second movie I've seen um, Ingrid Bergman in, um, and third one for Claude Rains. And honestly, this, this is, uh, if it wasn't for you guys, uh, I don't know when I would have gotten around to my first Hitchcock movie. These are the first Hitchcock movies I've seen. Is that right? You yeah. know, I've seen a few Hitchcocks over the years, here and there. If you know anything about me, if you've listened to any of the Golden Spiral Media stuff, you know my, my line that I throw out there anytime someone is shocked that I haven't seen a movie, <laughs> you know, I say, I don't know if you know this about me, but I haven't seen a whole lot of movies. And there are more Hitchcock movies that I have not seen than I have seen. And that includes after having watched these three. But he's got a lot of great stuff that hopefully I'll get around to watching one of these days. So um, this is a, a great movie, though. Looking forward to talking about it. A few more things about the movie here. The music was written by Roy Webb. The budget? $2 million, and the worldwide box office was $8 million. Travis, you want to tell us about the awards and accolades this movie got? Sure. It was the official selection of the 1946 Cannes Film Festival. Claude Rains was nominated for the BSA Academy Award. Uh, ben Hecht nominated for the Best Screenplay Academy Award. In 2006, it was uh, introduced into the National Film Registry and currently ranks number 65 on filmsite.org's critic picks best movie of all time yeah 65 obviously i would be overstating you know my knowledge if if i acted like i knew where it belonged on any type of formal list but it seems about right i mean it was a great movie it certainly is iconic and classic and and certainly has a like i said an all-star cast i'll tell you this about this particular movie the, the first time i watched it i enjoyed it the second time i watched it i loved it and I think that's a good sign of a, or a sign of a good movie or a great movie is if it gets even better the second time you watch it, even though you know what's coming, even though you know the lines that are going to be said, you know the reveals and all that stuff. If it still is better on the second watch, then it's a sign of a great movie. Absolutely. So uh, we'll get right into the movie here. I want to point out that this particular movie is available on Netflix DVD, Blockbuster DVD. It's not available for streaming. However... I did find it on YouTube, and that's how I actually watched the movie was on YouTube. I was kind of surprised and a little sad that it wasn't available for streaming anywhere that I could find outside of YouTube. 
Yeah, I'm actually surprised. Um, for a while, there was one or two Hitchcock movies available on Netflix. Uh, I think I watched Vertigo there, but um, I don't think there's any Hitchcock movie available for streaming on Netflix. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. The other two that we're doing, I got those through Amazon streaming. You know, Hulu has the Criterion Collection, and this movie is part of their Criterion Collection, but I guess they don't have every movie that's part of their Criterion Collection because this is not available on Hulu. And as far as I could tell, not available on Hulu Plus either. So my only deduction there is that they don't have the entire Criterion Collection, at least not all at, all at once. I'm not sure. Well, I can confirm it's not on Hulu Plus because I have that. I, I looked for all three and okay. it wasn't there. Okay. Well, as far as the plot, this comes from IMDb. It says, following the conviction of her German father for treason against the U.S., Alicia Huberman takes to drink and men. She is approached by a government agent, T.R. Devlin, who asks her to spy on a group of her father's Nazi friends operating out of Rio de Janeiro. A romance develops between Alicia and Devlin, but she starts to get too involved in her work. All right, man, let's get into the movie itself. What were your thoughts on the plot? I liked it. Uh, like we said, it was very timely, and, and yet still timeless. Uh, we mm -hmm. obviously haven't left the nuclear age yet. Right. Um, I, I did feel in a few places it was a bit drawn out, uh, but the angst between the three leads was very, very intense, and I'd, I'd consider it almost more of a character piece than, than a plot piece. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, I took a writing course a few years back, and there's two ways to tell a story, either a plot-driven story or a character-driven story. Okay. And uh, obviously, uh, you can deduce from that that you know plot's important in a plot-driven story, and characters are more important than the plot, uh, vice versa. And uh, this one just seemed to focus more on the characters than the actual plot. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. And I think, thinking just me thinking in, in context of the other movies that we're watching, particularly since I, I watched North by Northwest again today, I think that one's more of a plot-driven. But this one definitely, I would say, is a, it's a good point. I like that. Thank you for educating me on that. <laughs> um, yeah, I liked it a lot, too. These two, two characters of, of Devlin and, and Alicia, really interesting on screen together, I thought. Cary Grant and Ingrid Bergman matched up really well together. I liked them. For me, I'm always going to be biased with her being on screen with Bogart. There are a few movies that, that she and Bogart did together. And for me, I remember sitting down with my grandpa and watching classic movies together. And it was usually Bogart. And Casablanca was kind of our capstone that we both cherished so much. And that's why I cherish it so much. You know, I don't have my grandpa anymore, but I still have Casablanca. And that brings back those memories of he and I sitting in his living room and watching that together. So when I see her on screen, I often go back to her and Bogart when they matched up so well together. But I got to say, I really enjoyed she and Cary Grant on screen together. But having said that, I felt like the part of the movie where they developed their romance, you know, they uh, fly down to Rio pretty early in the movie and they have a little bit of downtime while they figure out how they're going to approach the situation with the group of Nazis. And during that time is when they fall in love. And it just seemed like it happened almost instantly. And yeah, there could have been some chemistry there. That's natural. Okay, I get that. But it just seemed like it went one to a hundred in, in no time flat. And I didn't feel like they gave enough time to let that relationship really flourish in a way that I could really buy into. I don't know. How did you feel about that? Yeah, I felt pretty much the same way. Um of the three movies, this is probably the second fastest. Um, I'd say the, the next one we're going to do is probably the first fastest. Yeah. Or no, I'm sorry, North by Northwest. Sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, that was, to me, I thought that one was a lot quicker than this one. But yeah, you're right. Uh, just seemed 
fairly quick and all of a sudden they're talking serious and then from there it goes into the the rest of the plot which kind of leads to the angst right okay so i guess we're all kind of on the same page there but you know the other characters with um the um claude rains character which was alex sebastian and then his his mother was such a great little she had just a great little part in this movie when when the mother was on screen it created some great drama, and I, I love the character development that we had between the mother and and the Sebastian, and then the mother-in-law, I guess you could say, and Alicia. Uh, some really good uh, character interaction among all of those. I'll agree with you on that too. So the real big climax of the movie, or the not the climax per se, but just the big emphasis of the movie is she's infiltrated into this group of of Nazis and. She, she's supposed to get in good with Claude Rain's character Sebastian because they have a previous relationship, right? And it leads a little bit further than she intended, and they end up getting married. She's trying to get access to the house because they know something is hidden in the house. What'd you think of this plot device? I liked it quite a bit. I don't know how often they'd used this before mm-hmm. uh, ni- uh, 1946. I'm, I mean, there's all kinds of plot devices people use for a lot of things, but uh, to use the wine bottle. And then to hide the uranium in it, um, yeah. I, I thought it was great for the time. Yeah, I liked it too. And it just made for uh, an exciting thing. I mean, as she's trying to get the key, there was tension there. Because he turns around on her right when she snags the key to the wine cellar. Because she's tried every other room in the house except for the wine cellar. So it's got to be there. Turns out it was. You mentioned the wine bottle, of course. So there was a lot of really good drama and suspense and tension built around getting access to the wine cellar, figuring out what's in the wine cellar. Then they broke a bottle and trying to cover that up and get the key back on Sebastian's key ring before he finds out. It made for some really, really good drama and really good suspense. Absolutely. Part of me is screaming at the screens, like, be a little more careful with the key. (laughs) (laughs) It's just getting it and getting it back. It's like, these are semi-trained professionals. I try try to notice the details, but, you know, her character being what she was, she probably wasn't thinking like that. It was good when she stole the key and he came up to her and grabbed her hand. Because uh, at that point, you didn't know which hand the key was in. And fortunately, <laughs> she had it in the other and she dropped it. And that was such a good scene, I think. Yeah. But I mentioned that, you know, she had to be put into this situation where she was supposed to get close to Sebastian and, and his buddies so that she could really figure out what was going on. Because the government really didn't know exactly what they were doing other than it was up to, no, you know, something no good. And... She ended up really getting in way deeper than she ever expected. She never thought she'd have to marry the guy and live with the guy and sleep with the guy. I mean, if, I mean, all those things. If you're married to a, to the guy, you're going to have to go all the way and and really play the part. And it was right after she and Devlin had developed this really what we were supposed to believe is genuine. I, mean, I already talked about how I thought it happened a little too fa- fast to be believable, but you know, it was, and, and they were seemed to have this relationship that was sincere, but then when she's put into this situation, Devlin just kind of pushes all that aside and refuses to let his feelings get in the way of his job, and Alicia thinks that maybe it was all just a ruse that he really didn't have feelings for her. Um, he was just trying to use her, and it really, I liked it. It created some, um, I'll use your word, some angst between those two characters. Oh, yeah. I know we'd mentioned it before uh, off screen, but... Um Having seen a few Cary Grant movies now, this was kind of an atypical um, character for for Grant because he's usually the happy-go-lucky, very charming uh, character. And to be this stoic and just to have this 
rock hard face. And you can actually see him uh, battling his emotions uh, on screen. He did a very fantastic job with it. And, and like I said, just, just the, the, uh, the <laughs> I keep using it, the angst between them is palpable. Yeah. I felt bad for her. I mean, she had had a checkered past. That's going to kind of be something we're going to see a little bit of a pattern with here in the, in the leading ladies uh, in two mm-hmm. of these films. But she'd had a checkered past and she really just wanted somebody to genuinely love her and to tell her. You know, she wanted him to stand up at some point and tell the feds, hey, we can't ask her to do this. Because I love her, and this isn't right, and he just wouldn't do that. And, of course, at the end of the movie, he came in as her knight in shining armor and rescued her. But, you know, a lot had to happen to get to that point. A lot of unfortunate things in terms of their relationship that had to happen. I mean, she was almost killed because of of what she did. Yeah. And honestly, um, we don't know if she actually survived. I mean, more than likely she did. I'd have to agree, you know, more than half that she probably survived. But you don't know for sure. That's right. The one thing I always, I don't know, it just seems weird to see this, but it, it history kind of shows it does happen. But with the way they kept killing off their own conspirators, it's just a rapidly shrinking conspiracy. Yeah. And um, granted, uh, Claude Rains's mistake was pretty big, actually marrying an agent. Right. But at the same time, that was typical of, of the hardcore socialist communist parties of the time. I've got uh, some photos of Stalin he, he's got a picture early in his career with like five or six cabinet members. And as they fu- fell out of favor with him, he'd, he'd have them killed off or disappeared. Mm. And the, the photograph was altered to remove those people. Wow. Uh, eventually got down to like one or two people. And uh, there was even a, an artist rendition of just Stalin in the picture. And uh, I've also got uh, some, some history books Russia had at the time where they were ordered to take black markers and, cross people out and ignore those people from history so it happens but how do you keep something like that going when you keep killing people well yeah i mean they had a band of about i don't know five or so people six guys at the beginning of the movie and at the end they're down two they killed one just for i mean he freaked out about the wine bottle when he saw it out of the wine cellar but it was i don't know i mean to me it didn't seem like so obvious that they should kill him for it but they're so paranoid of course that's what they're going to do and yeah it, it did seem like they had somebody in mind that they wanted to replace that first person with, too. So, I mean, it's, they, they had people they wanted to replace with, but when you know the track record, why would you go with them? <laughs> yeah, exactly right. We talked at the top of the show about would this plot device of the of the uranium being hidden in the wine bottles, would that have worked, or is this almost a work of science fiction? And it, it really, when it was written, I guess you could say that it was a work of science fiction, or at least in what might have been termed that or looked at that in the eyes of the general public. The general public didn't really understand what uranium was and that it could be enriched and used to make nuclear weapons and what kind of destructive powers that would that would have. That all changed on August 6th, 1945, as you well know. That's when they, they dropped, uh, uh, was it Little Man they dropped first and then Fat Boy or I can't remember the names of the bombs exactly, but... They, I, only, I only remember Fat Boy, and I, I honestly, I couldn't tell you, and I, yeah. history buff I am, I, I couldn't tell you which was which. Um, so the first one they <laughs> dropped was a uranium-based bomb. The second one they dropped three days later was a plutonium-based bomb. But these two bombs, obviously, I, as I said at the top of the show, changed world history. Everybody in the world now knew what a nuclear weapon was and the basic ingredients for creating one, obviously, 
they don't know how to make one themselves, but they know it's involved with either uranium or plutonium. So here we have this story centering around Nazis trying to get their hands on some uranium for nefarious reasons. It made a whole lot of sense. But when it was going through the writing process, I read some stuff where there was some discussion on if this could ever make it into the public because it wouldn't connect with the, uh, the audience. They wouldn't know the significance of uranium. Well, they started production about three months or two months, uh, I think it was three months after the bombs dropped. So that changed the public perception and knowledge of uranium. So that was really an interesting historical factoid to me. Yeah, that's, that's really neat. So what were your thoughts on the kind of the directing, the acting, and, and the style of the, of the movie? Well, like I mentioned before, um, Cary Grant was fantastic, even though he was kind of wooden, but that, that was him trying to hide his emotions. And uh, being the good actor he was, you could see him trying to hide the emotions. And um, I might be poo-pooing a little bit here, but uh, a lot of those old-time movies, I feel, could be uh, wooden quite a bit with the acting. But yeah. uh, they did a fantastic job. I appreciate Claude Rains. Uh, Ingrid Bergman was fantastic. Just really good acting. And uh, the... Directing, I'd say, uh, had that static feel, or most everything was centered in the screen. Mm-hmm. There was a few nice exceptions uh, yep. with uh, when she's lying on her back, looking at Cary Grant, and the way that the the camera moves for her perspective, and uh, when she's during the poison scene, when she's fading in and out of consciousness, mm-hmm. those are good. And yeah, you had mentioned something about a top down scene that was pretty good. Yeah, there was a couple of those after <laughs> after Sebastian is is busted. He knows he's in trouble. He kind of comes up the stairs. They've got this nice, big, sweeping staircase, and, and it goes, uh, you know, in the entryway like you would see in a big, fancy house. And the this is another one of those sweeping camera shots too. The the camera is kind of following him up the stairs, and it's it's a great camera shot. And he's casting some dark light there, and it's the camera's above him a little bit. And when you when you have a camera above someone like that, it kind of gives you that. I don't, I don't, the right word isn't coming to me here, but it's like you're in trouble, right? You're inferior, you're, you're busted, you know? And then like, he goes right from there to his mom's room and wakes her up. And then you have a really nice top down shot as if she were looking down on a little boy and he was getting scolded. And (laughs) that wasn't necessarily what was happening there, but that's probably how he felt on the inside. And I felt like the camera angle did a fantastic job of portraying Here's a little boy getting scolded by his mom. I hadn't noticed that. That is that is a fantastic comparison. I'm gonna have to go back just to watch that little bit there. That uh, you're absolutely right, though. And that was a scene too where I felt like the mother character really came into her own in the movie. But before that, she was just a side character. You knew that she knew what was going on. But at that point, she takes control and says, "All right, I'll fix this." And mm-hmm. she's the one that comes up with the idea on how to subtly kill uh, alicia and it was a great plan almost worked <laughs> it yeah. almost worked yeah but i almost felt sorry for sebastian i mean here's a guy who is still living under control of his mom and we'll see that i mean gosh that's makes its uh, way into several hitchcock movies probably none more famous than psycho right but yeah. um we have this guy who's kind of living under the thumb of his mom and has these sincere feelings for alicia she doesn't love him. She doesn't even like him. And he thinks that she does. And at the end, he's going to get killed by his Nazi friends for falling in love with a woman that he, he's loved for many years and thought that she finally had feelings for him too. But at the, at the, end, of the, at the end of the day, he's still a you know, 
trying to create nuclear weapons for the Nazis, so you can't feel too bad for him, but you almost do, right? I, I just couldn't. <laughs> Not at <laughs> okay, all. just me. <laughs> no, I'm sure other people felt that way. It's just, I couldn't, I couldn't muster up any feelings yeah. for him. <laughs> well, maybe it's me and my affection for Claude Rains. I don't know. He's just, he plays a really good, lovable bad guy in my mind. I, I liked him better in, uh, well, I like the character better in uh, Casablanca. I, you're supposed to like him in that anyway. That's right. He wasn't an out and out bad guy in, in Casablanca. He was just kind of a under the table kind of dirty guy a little bit. Yeah. So you didn't feel any sorrow for Sebastian. All right. Well, that's interesting. The only thing I could really feel for him is is pity that he just didn't have that backbone he thought he did. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's cool. You're entitled to your opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have I have no soft spot in my heart for any Nazi, though. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know what? And I can totally get with you there. Um, we're not going to disagree on that. Yeah. The other thing I'll, I'll say is that the music was really great in this uh, in this movie. We talked about it at the top of the show that the the music was written written by Roy Webb, and it was great. It really helped build the suspense at times. It helped crescendo at the right moments. And you know, the first time I watched it, I didn't really pay too much attention to the music but the second time my second watch I'm, I'm trying to pay more attention to the little things like that and it was really apparent to me how good the soundtrack was how good of a job he had done of really complimenting the work that Hitchcock was trying to achieve through the director's lens unfortunately I haven't gotten to see it twice myself I'm definitely going to have to now uh, but uh, the biggest compliment uh, I know any composer can get is oh i didn't notice the music during the filming and I, I i didn't notice the music but you're absolutely right the the tension and and the suspense was all there in all the right places mm-hmm. and the, um just just shooting off the hip the music had to help with that yeah it definitely did any, any of the thoughts there on the style and acting and all that not a lot um really only like i said only the second uh, ingrid bergman film i've seen it it, mm-hmm. it was weird for me to see her playing uh, such a checkered I, I hate to say floozy because <laughs> to me, you know, from that era, especially just, I always think of those actors with such dignity, yeah. especially in the roles and to see her play this she, fantastic job. Obviously, yes. Great actress, but just weird to me to see her play that. But like I said, it was you know, very good to, to see that acting. Yeah. She was great. Well, one of the cool things that we added to this series of triple casts, you can't talk about a Hitchcock movie and not talk about Hitchcock's role in the movie. He's famous for having a cameo in each of his movies. And so we obviously needed to talk about that as well. I will say of the three movies that we're talking about in this series of triple casts, this is definitely by far, in my opinion, the hardest one to spot the Hitchcock cameo. Did you spot it? Only because I had gone through the trivia section in IMDb. So I knew to look for it. But you're right. Even knowing it was there, I I didn't see his face, honestly. His his face is partially obscured by his hand i didn't see it at all the first time my second watch through i knew exactly what to look for and i saw it but had i not known exactly what to look for i probably still would have missed it because when they get to there's a there's a big part in the in the movie where they're going to have a big party at the house and it's all just a covered so they can have an excuse to get uh devlin into the house so that he and alicia can figure out what's going on down in the wine cellar and so there's a big party so that there's there's no reason for him not to be there. Everyone's invited and or all the money folks are invited. And 
there's so Devlin gets there. They greet each other. They go. They're approaching kind of a a table where there's some alcohol. And there's Hitchcock. He grabs a drink. And right as they're approaching, he walks away. And it's to me, it's really hard to spot. It's a perfect cameo. Yep. And that's one thing. I, I don't know if it's in every single movie the same way, but as far as I know, he never has a speaking role mm-hmm. and almost self self deprecating in, in at least the other two movies. <laughs> it's and, very much so. Yes. Yeah. And and I kind of appreciate that more than say the M Night Shyamalan movies, yeah. where he he seems to be getting a bigger and bigger role in every one of his movies. I'll agree with that. He started out with small roles and has gotten bigger and bigger with his. I like the, the the director cameos. I mean, I don't want everybody to do it because then it wouldn't be cool. But oh, yeah. I like that Hitchcock did it. I do like that M. Night Shyamalan does it. And anything that's in there like that, that I think it's cool. As long as it's subtle. I mean, if mm-hmm. it, even with signs, like M. Night Shyamalan and signs, he had a, a, a pretty significant part. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot of screen time, but there was no subtlety about his part in that movie. But I still thought that was kind of cool, too. I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw Lady in the Water, but... He was the plot of that movie. You know, I have not seen Lady in the Water. I don't know if you know this about me, Travis. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers away, but yeah, his character ends up being, you know, kind of what the whole movie was about. And um, mm. Yeah, I don't yeah, like that. It, 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 was, it was kind of... I, I like Lady in the Water. I mean, not the greatest movie ever, obviously, but I, I prefer the Alfred Hitchcock type cameos where they're quick, uh, sometimes self-deprecating, yeah. and we'll get into it in, in uh, To Catch a Thief, but that was my absolute favorite one there. I'll just go ahead and say right now that his cameo in the next two movies, I literally LOL'd at both of them. It's yeah. just yeah. awesome. Yeah. All right, any other thoughts on the movie? Uh, just just a few. Um, like I said at the beginning, I thought it was a bit drawn out in places, and I, I find it funny that uh, in, in a, on Internet Movie Database in the trivia section, uh, they did two radio dramatizations and cut it down to an hour and then 30 minutes. Wow. thought that was kind of amusing. And it, we'll see this in the other two movies and, and even some of the other ones that I've seen. Uh, Hitchcock presents a callous government uh, willing to use its uh, citizens in any capacity with little feeling. Mm-hmm. And I know that I think that's true for any generation. We could, we could go off on a tangent now and talk about current political events, but I right. know we don't want to get too touchy with that, but... I think any generation, they're going to have that feeling of their government no matter what. I think so, too, particularly those <laughs> generations who have been more active in war. And here we are right in the middle of a war, when World War II, when this is going on, when this is being thought of. And then, of course, the war was over by the time this came to theaters. So definitely I can see how people of this generation in particular would have that type of feeling. Yeah. And you mentioned it, too, before the creepy mother relationship. This one, though, <laughs> when... When Claude Rains gets the call that she's an agent, mm-hmm. the mom is thinking, oh, she's just, you know, some floozy. She's gone off the wagon or something. And she, she's all happy. She's like, this is great. All right. She's bad. It's like, <laughs> why is she so happy? <laughs> that was a little creepy right there. Yeah. And then the minute she finds out she's an agent, then it's like all serious and, and uh, disturbing. But she was just giddy with delight that, <laughs> that there might be something wrong with her. I just get this you know, jealous girlfriend feeling. Sorry. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think the mom, man, like I said, she, I, I termed it that he, he was under her thumb. I mean, that's putting it politely. I mean, he was another reason why I felt bad for the guy, man. I wouldn't <laughs> want to be in his situation with that motherly relationship that he had. All right, well, let's give it a rating. I, I gave it eight bottles of urine. I mean, uh, wine. <laughs> I also gave it eight funny tasting cups of coffee. Nice. So it was a very tiny cup of coffee, wasn't it? Probably cappuccino. I think they usually serve the cappuccino in small ones. Yeah. 
There's an important scene there where she's drinking the coffee and then the guy who's there visiting almost drinks her cup. And when, when the mom and Sebastian both like, no, 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 don't drink that. <laughs> that was the yeah. deal. Obviously, Alicia picked up on it right away and knew that yeah. she was being poisoned. Yet, yet it's a no-no to, to freak out over a wine bottle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, at, at this point in the show, we, we'd like to talk about what happened next. What did each of these characters do? And also the director, Cary Grant and Alfred Hitchcock. I mean, we're going to be talking about them over the next three episodes. And you, you know a lot of their work. Of course, Cary Grant went on to do a movie called The Bishop's Wife and then A Fair to Remember since we're talking about him in three movies, we're, we're going to kind of break it up. But those are kind of the couple of the next big projects that he did. What about Ingrid? She went on to do Joan of Arc and Anastasia, or yeah. Anastasia, however you want to pronounce That's that. That's right. <laughs> Depends on where you're, what part of the world you're from, I suppose. Yeah. Claude Rains, I mentioned he already had done Casablanca, and so had she by, the, by this time. He went on to do Deception. And then a lot of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. That was a great TV show that Alfred did. And he had a, a really cool role as Herod in The Greatest Story Ever Told, which is one of the um, most iconic biblical st- movies uh, that have uh, ever been made. And uh, like as, I said, he played a Herod in that movie. As a Christian, I, I'm ashamed to say I haven't seen it, but I, I can see him playing Herod perfectly. Yeah, can't you? Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alfred Hitchcock, like we said, he, we're not going to cover everything because we're, we're doing a few more, but he also went on to do Strangers on a Train, Dial M for Murder, and the next movie we're going to do, To Catch a Thief. That's right. Well, there's two other movies right there. We're going to do To Catch a Thief, so I'm not including that one, but Dial M for Murder, Strangers on a Train. You know, there's two ones that are worthy of triple cast, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Same vein is, is the next thing we do where we try to talk about, hey, if you like this movie, here's some other things you could check out. And I'll just say anything Hitchcock, <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> and I've mentioned it a thousand times. I won't, I won't mention it as much in the next two episodes because they don't have Claude Rains and Ingrid Bergman. But if you haven't seen Casablanca, go watch Casablanca. It's got that it also takes place during the war era, the, and so there's some political and war things that are controlling the government and the, controlling the people in that, and it's a love story. It's great. If you haven't seen it, it's one of the best movies of all time. Go see it. And it's got Peter Lorre. It's always fun to watch Peter Lorre. I love Peter Lorre. Oh, period. tell me you've seen M. M? M. It's a German movie by Fritz Lang, if I remember right. I'm writing it down. I've not it, seen this fantastic fantastic movie and this this is a little off topic it just i don't know why i had to even bring up um bring him up but it's it's about a pedophile who gets the underworld so upset that uh what the police are doing they go and catch him hmm. and put him on trial it's fantastic fantastic movie i will check it out i love him <clears throat> and then the last movie i'll mention just because it's it, well i'll mention it for a few reasons i mean obviously it ties in it's the same vein but it's called Matahari. It's a 1931 movie with Greta Garbo. I mean, come on. That's, that should be enough right there to make you want to go watch it. But at one point in the movie, I believe Alicia refers to herself as the Matahari. Mm-hmm. And it's another story. If, if you don't know the story of the Matahari, I mean, she was a spy or being used as, as a spy to, for, the, for the gain of the government and having to use her body a lot of times to gain information, to get inside so she could get the information. So definitely very similar to what Alicia was being asked to do in this movie. Yeah. And you'll hear that reference uh, every so often in uh, other movies. Definitely. All right. Well, Travis, I'm going to give our audience a little bit of a 
information here before we do the next uh, segment. And the next segment is Name That Movie. This is a segment that Clint and I always played where over the course of the three episodes that are in the triple cast, we get we we start where we're at, and we by the end of the third episode, we are at the next series. Clint doesn't ever know what the next series is. And I, I gave you the option if you wanted to play the game or not. And you said, I loved that part of the show when you and Clint did that. I always played along. And so you said you wanted to play along. So are you I ready? did. I did. I just hope I'm not blowing my horn too loud because, like I said, I... I find myself on Internet Movie Database quite a bit and uh, chasing rabbits down all sorts of holes. <laughs> well, I'm up for it this time. <laughs> I think you'll do well. And also, if you remember from the old episodes of uh, TripleCast, we had this really terrible, awkward music that we played. And I always said, you know, I'm going to change that. I'm going to change that music. I'm going to change that music. <clears throat> I finally did. So here's the, here's the thing, folks. You're going to hear some new music for Name That a Movie segment here. I'm not the world's greatest guitar player. In fact, I'm quite not good. I, I can strum the guitar, and that's about it. I'm certainly not the world's best singer, and I'm, I'm a terrible jingle writer. So here's what I came up with. I would love your feedback on if you like this or if you prefer what we did before with the kind of awkward name that music echo type of thing. But here's the, uh, here's the new music, at least for now. I'll tell you right now, that's got my vote. I love it. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> it's, it's the uh, perfect kind of cheesy. It is. It, cheesy is exactly how everybody has described it so far. I've, I've ran it through a few people, uh, including Clint. Clint preferred the other music, and, and that's cool. I mean, uh, I don't know yet if we're going to stick with this one or not. I'd, like I said, I'd love to hear other feedback. We'll see <laughs> how it goes. All right, so let's get into name that movie here. We are obviously starting with Alfred Hitchcock, and I mentioned that he did... Four films with Cary Grant. We're talking about three of those. He also did four films with Jimmy Stewart. You might remember the uh, the first part of Triple Cast of the name that movie that in the first episode. It's always kind of a you got to name three things instead of just one thing. So I'm asking you to name three of the four films that Jimmy Stewart did with Alfred Hitchcock. Well, I know two right off the top of my head: Rear Window and The yes. Man Who Knew Too Much. Yes, you got two right um, out of the gate. And I know I was looking at Alfred Hitchcock movies. I cannot think of the other two. No, I'm drawing a complete blank on that. I'm sorry. Well, that's interesting. I thought you had a dizzying intellect. I did not say that. <laughs> that was a clue. Oh, oh, duh, vertical. I mentioned it in the podcast. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Wow. That's great. Uh, and the, the fourth one is rope. Okay. Rope. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so what we'll do in the next, uh, in the next uh, episode of Triple Cast, we'll take one of those four movies and they will take us a step closer to where we're going to be for the next series of Triple Cast. I'm not going to tell you yet what that series is. So good job, man. That wasn't, uh, you did, you did a good job on that. Yeah, I was nervous. I was, I was chasing all sorts of rabbits on that one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next two might not be so easy. <laughs> Making me sweat, man. <laughs> All right. Well, let me give our contact information before we wrap up today. You can give us a call at the Golden Spiral Media Voice Feedback Line. We would love for you to call in 
And for TripleCast, what we'd love to hear from you is your ideas for series of TripleCasts. Um, anything that you, th- you think we overlooked or missed on on the coverage of this episode, and or any you know, if you've got a favorite memory of this episode or anything like that, we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. And uh, we have probably in the queue right now enough TripleCasts for an entire year. I bet if we did one episode a week, it would probably take us a year to get through them all. We have a lot of ideas, but we always look for more ideas and better ideas. So send those in to us. Call us at three zero four eight three seven two two seven eight. You can also email us at feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com. We invite you to join the conversation over on Twitter at GSM Podcast. That's our Twitter handle. Follow us over there and connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash goldenspiralmedia. Travis, you did good. Thank you. Thanks for joining me for this episode. I can't wait to do the other two episodes with you. Like I said, next episode is going to be To Catch a Thief, and then we'll wrap up the Cary Grant Alfred Hitchcock series with North by Northwest. Can't wait to see you guys, Dan. Until then, I will say, beware of mothers-in-law serving coffee. I'll say, may the flicks be with you. (laughs) Have a good night, everyone. Triplecast is a production of Golden Spiral Media. Intro and outro music is provided by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. For more information about this or other Golden Spiral Media podcasts, visit GoldenSpiralMedia.com. For advertising and support opportunities, visit goldenspiralmedia.com/support. Copyright 2013, Golden Spiral Media.